This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. everybody welcome to another episode of outside looking in the podcast series wherein i talk to somebody from every single market in the league 29 episodes to get what their idea of the raptors is so we can form some sort of consensus but also so you the listener the viewer whichever it is youtube podcast channel you get to understand the lens viewed 29 teams and so hopefully you become one of the most well-rounded fans in the world that's that's the goal here for you to, to know so much. And the Nets, man, an endlessly interesting team. There's a lot up in the air, even though things have settled down. And to discuss that with me is Matt Brooks of Nets Daily and Basketball News. And so let's, let's, how are you doing? First of all, you doing I'm, good? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm hanging in there. Uh, it's busy summer. What an off season. I'm not, not used to having, uh, you know, stuff to do, I guess, news related all the way through like August. Um, but yeah, very interesting off season. Probably a good way to start. <laughs> well, you, your voice has been heard around the world consulting on this this net stuff all the way from Canada to Australia. And, yeah. And now finally culminating in this podcast. And that's where we'll start. What the hell is going on in Brooklyn? I mean, things have settled somewhat, but yeah, can you clue me in? Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I guess Durant's back. Um, it's sort of uh, the team is kind of all getting together. They have training camp that starts in two weeks, um, but there's already guys kind of working out at the facility uh, here in Brooklyn. Um, so Kyrie's, I think, just come back probably a couple of days ago. Durant's supposed to be supposed to be joining them, um, which is I think a little weird. He's like the last one, he's, which makes sense, I guess, in a way that he's kind of the straggler. So technically, everybody's getting together. It's all kumbaya right now. I'm sure we're going to have training camp and there's going to be a bunch of quotes about how locked in everybody is because that's what training camp is, is it's just PR for the team, basically. So we probably won't really know what this whole situation looks like until we get into the first you know, string or so of games where the Nets actually are playing like a lot of really good teams, the Bucks, the Grizzlies. Um, that that I think is where we're really going to learn like how stable this whole situation is. So the Kyrie stuff, were you leaning any type of way? Were you, as somebody who covers the team, just kind of like, you know what, move <laughs> on. It's, you know, what, put on the GM hat and you're like, what would I do? Would I just cut and run? Would I just say, okay, we're going to try and get picks we're going to try and make it move and we're going to try and build something new with Ben Simmons and whoever else is around Royce O'Neal, which the trade was like a super, super meme. But then it, I guess it's a good trade now yeah, because Royce is a good player. And it was funny that they trade for him when they were supposedly blowing everything up. But now, now it makes sense. Yeah, it was probably a sign of where the front office was kind of leaning the whole time was that they wanted to ultimately get everybody back at least for one more year, um, which we'll see. Everybody's calling. I love that Net Sands are calling it like the last dance. And I'm like, there wasn't, <laughs> there weren't any first dances. <laughs> like this is, this is just the dance. Um, 
But no, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the smartest thing and kind of what I said all throughout was the smartest thing to do, even though there are difficulties, I think, with um, just some of the things that have happened with Kyrie over the last couple of years. But the best thing you can do is keep him on the roster because ultimately he's your tie to Durant and Durant's the best possible player that you can have if you're trying to remain competitive um, in the, you know, in the interim. And and I think that's what the Nets want to do the whole time was just be as good as possible. So, yeah, I, I think in that way, keeping Kyrie was the right move um, just because, again, that's that's your best chance to win anything. So I think the the optimist viewpoint is that you would describe Kyrie as mercurial. Mm-hmm. And that's like kind of it. It ties up all of the things about him. He's a mercurial figure. KD, even even he is to some degree. I'm curious because this, the Nets had always seemed like an exercise in talent in the NBA. And you look at teams like the Grizzlies who, sure, they had failings in the playoffs, but this is a team who was massively successful because they had talent, but because they had good vibes and continuity. And they had a, like a very, they chiseled out a play style that made sense for them. The Nets have been in and out of everything. They had Harden, they had Kyrie, they had Durant. I, I think it was they only like played 700 possessions together or something like that. And they won a lot of games when they did play together. It was tough to beat those guys, but everything fell to the wayside. I'm curious that I know you said you have to wait to see like Bucks and games against the, the other contenders, but I really am curious with Ben Simmons on the roster with KD with Kyrie, do you expect full seasons from these guys? Do you expect contender status? Uh, that would be that would be ideal, right? Like if you're because if it isn't, if it doesn't go that way, if if somebody gets hurt early or whatever, um, you know, or they start off slow, I think the noise about firing Nash gets pretty loud. I think you have to address. I mean, I'm sh- at some point um, if things get bad and this team is you know 500 or something like that. I bet you the noise about Durant gets pretty loud um, and that starts to become a topic at the deadline. So yeah, I mean, if everything clicks, which it never does for the Nets, uh, this is a contender. Like this is a team that I really truly believe can come out of the East. Um, A lot of moving pieces, figuring out how to use Ben Simmons, I think is going to be a big task. I think as everybody knows this, like the the potential is absolutely there. Um, This is a really good core for him, but it's still going to be an acclimation period. So in, in the meantime, you know, you just sort of – you just have to hope that things just go well for this team because, you know, they will in spots, but there's always going to be that hamstring strain or or ankle roll that's going to derail this team at, like, the worst possible time. When I think of this team, the platonic ideal of the Nets, that's a contender. Not, not only is it that they have Simmons and Kyrie and KD, but they have, like, Seth Curry – they have Claxton. They have lots of Royce O'Neal. They have lots of interesting players on the team outside. Joe of Harris. Yep. Joe Harris. Yeah. Yep. Like, uh, yeah, handsome bearded guy in Brooklyn, Joe Harris and, <laughs> and Matt Brooks. Right. That's kind of like the, the deal. Um, I hope you have a good jump shot as well. I but, don't. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it's uh, but it's a good team. Now they have to be able to kind of coalesce together. And that should be really interesting. I you, you said you're a fan of bouncing around. I'm not sure if you saw this episode, but I was talking about the Nets and I was like, man, I just have to be able to see Harden and Kyrie and Durant play together. And I didn't get that opportunity. Hardly anybody did. And yeah, it's I'm very curious about that team. Who knows what the hell is going to happen? But yeah, the, the Raptors are intertwined in this. 
And from my point of view, I talked about this a couple times and it was like, I don't think the Raptors get Durant. I think that the Raptors were involved in the Durant speculation because the Raptors are perceived to be one, a star away from contention and two, one of the teams that could trade out players and still maintain that contender status. And so it was like, they fit the terms of being in that trade, but KD obviously, I don't think he wanted to go to Toronto. I'm curious when you were, from your point of view, because I do this thing when when OG was in trade rumors and I thought like, who would I want from Portland? You know, mm-hmm. Dame says that OG and Michael Bridges are the two guys he wants to play with. And, and Portland tried to get OG and it's like, well, who would I want? You know, Josh Hart, a pick and maybe another pick, something like that. When the Raptors were involved in the rumors, who were you trying to pluck away for KD? Was there a trade package that you wanted? I mean, Scotty and OG would probably be probably be a good start. I, I mean, I, I know the team is like really, or the Nets are really high on Scotty, um, and like they should be. I mean, he's I I know Raptors fans <laughs> love Scotty, so um, that was kind of the the basics of it. I thought that was actually a really intriguing package. Um, you know, I think you could make a case that depending on where the Nets wanted to go, that was really one of the best offers they could get. Um, although it kind of seemed like they wanted more win now pieces. Um, so, you know, in the end, I think that Jalen Brown package was probably the closest to what they were looking for, at least from a front office perspective, but no, I mean, <clears throat> just the Scotty and OG is like a great, great starting point. Um, and, you know, I think if the team, the Nets really, if the Nets had been more serious about actually trading Durant and, and that had gotten there um, from both sides, I, I do think there was a world where that could have happened. But I just don't think yeah. the Nets ever wanted to trade Durant. I really honestly. Who would want to trade Durant, right? He, yeah. He's incredible. I bet like I I really do feel not that I'm in the business of feeling for front offices too often, honestly, but I do feel for the Nets and the decision makers. It's they've been in a pickle for some time. And everybody knew that there were some questions about taking on more like controversial figures for locker room stuff but it seemed like everything hit fever pitch repeatedly it wasn't they couldn't just have like a nice three-week stint or anything like that it was always at 100 from go um the thing i want to ask you about next though is the raptors they didn't make the trade scotty you love scotty everybody loves scotty scotty plus pascal plus og fred gary precious all, all the regulars a team remains i'm curious what your thoughts are on the toronto raptors Good team. We'll be really frisky. Um, depends on who they put. Like if they play the Nets and the Nets are d- dysfunctional um, and and those teams meet up in the playoffs, I could see them really causing problems for the Nets. Um, and that's a lot of that just depends on how things go this year over here, which that's always I feel like, oh, I come into Nets seasons is just with like a shrug and being like, all right, we're going to do this again. Um, I know I like the Raptors. I think they're probably on the lower end, like a six seed for me, um, which I know some Raptors fans are really high on the team this year. I'm probably closer to that. Um, I just think the top end of the conference, maybe a five seed um, is really, really strong. I, I do think there's an interesting conversation to be had between them and the Cavs about which of those two teams is going to finish higher in the standings. And that's probably what you're looking at in terms of tiering these teams out if we're going to look at it that way. That's I'm going to have the Cavs conversation with Bowser to Bowser, who does the oh, basketball action dictionary. And I so think so good. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have a really good conversation about that. The Cavs opening night 
Cavs versus Raptors should rock. That yes. should be a really, really great matchup. And the Nets matchup with the Raptors, that's also a curious mm-hmm. one because Kyrie probably, that's like his series. Because KD will get the kitchen sink thrown at him because the Raptors are more well-equipped to kind of dig in on KD. We, you know, As we saw what happened with KD last playoffs. And the Raptors have similar strengths to Boston in that regard. That doesn't mean you that doesn't mean you clamp KD. I mean nobody yeah. does. It's just maybe you can limit some of those big scoring bursts. And Kyrie, Fred has to get through another season healthy. All that stuff has to pop off. It it would be really interesting to see how the Raptors try and guard Kyrie for a mm-hmm. series. Because if Kyrie is going, uh Fred is a great answer, quite frankly. But there's no great answer if Kyrie has has it going. And Gary Trent Jr., if they try and get away with that, it's it's death for them. That's really bad news. (laughs) And so it it would be really interesting to see how... Oh, shit. Headphone popped up. It would be really interesting to see how the Raptors deal with not only attacking the offensive glass, as they often do, but also how they approach it defensively because the Nets will get into the middle of the defense and the Raptors will have to pull off the strong side corner and the weak side corner and... It will be rotation and seeing guys like Joe Harris spot up, you know, the Raptors, they played the Nets in a playoff series a couple of years ago. And Joe Harris was the best player on the Nets halfway through that series before he got injured, hitting shots. And so, yeah, I think that's really interesting to think about it from that point of view is like, man, I haven't done the playoff matchup thing. I think we're going to do it on the Cavs series, but this is the first time in the podcast, the outside looking in series that I, we considered like, Hey, what happens in this series and Raptors yeah. versus Nets would be absolutely awesome. And, and to your point about the Raptors being like a six seed, the first episode I did this series, I said, I could see the, I don't think the bulls will be better than the Raptors, but I could see a version of the bulls. If they have everybody healthy, like yeah. that, that team could be really great. The Cavs could be really great. The Raptors could be really great. The middle of the Eastern conference is really competitive and the Raptors could, by all means, improve by significant measures and still end up with worse seeding than they did last year. That's that's just how this is going to shake out. So six seed, I don't think, is a slight at all. It just speaks to, as you said, the strength of the conference. And the Eastern Conference has low-key been kind of awesome for a really, really long time. Uh, Scotty Barnes, by the way. just I'm curious on your flashbulb thoughts. Everybody loves Scotty Barnes. Um, they have a platform to speak about it here. And uh, because Raptors fans, what do they want to hear? People gush about Scotty Barnes. So the opportunity is now. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. Two-way player. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to break any news. I just, I like that he's, it looks like he's bulked up this offseason. Um, and there's just something about, I don't, there's just something about him. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like the level of um, feel, I guess, that he has already that just sticks out. I mean, he had a couple of huge performances against the Nets last year where it was like, this guy just kind of knew exactly the weaknesses of this Nets team in terms of a, attacking the glass um, and, and just generally like getting into the paint that I just was unique to watch. And the way he kind of went head to head with Durant in a way I thought was also like really different it just was not I don't know there's I just hadn't seen somebody kind of approach playing the Nets like that that and Durant like that that I just I don't know I, I don't know how to I'm not going to give you a ton of really good analysis outside of like he just has it like he's got that dog in him. <laughs> that's 
I think that's a, a common takeaway for Scotty. And yeah. I think it makes sense because I, I talked about this with Lero is that Dogginum is kind of like funny as far as analysis, but it does harken to something that is true. Yeah. Some guys do have it and you can't quantify it, but more or less, you know, it when you see it, I think some people overvalue the itness or maybe they like the halo effect, right? Where it's like they see it once and that means they continue to look for it always. Yeah. And yeah, Scotty, though, that game against the the Nets where like he was like stop and pop in mid range yeah. against KD, you know, guarded him on the other end. And, you know, KD is winning that defensive matchup a lot of the time, honestly. But it's it's interesting to see that Scotty's a guy who's going to go after it and he's going to try and, you know, he's going to get after dudes defensively. His, you know, his foot speed and all that kind of stuff. I'm curious where it ends up, you know, during his prime as far as a defensive stopper. But yeah, there's there's tons of potential on that end as well. Ben Simmons is another guy who succeeds yeah. with, you know, two-way play, limited jump shot, although Scotty obviously has... Um, he takes it took him. him like, <laughs> it took like four games for him to be better at shooting threes than Ben Simmons. But <laughs> as far as these big, like extremely strong, wonderful in the open court creators, I think that Scotty and Ben have something... There's there's a comparison to be made, at least for some parts of their game. But Ben Simmons, you have not seen him play for the Nets yet. But he is a net. And we haven't seen him play in a long time. I'm curious what you think about Ben Simmons for this upcoming season. Because he's like, at his best, an all-NBA level player. Yeah. Which is a hell of a thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they got... They they got rid of an all NBA level player and brought one in and a, a guy that I think is fair to say is on the decline. Um, and they got somebody who's you know going to help them a lot. Um, I'm curious about how they utilize him. Is he going to be a point of attack guy? Are they going to play him at center? They switch so much that ultimately he'll be guarding um, lead creators a lot. So I, I don't know if that matters as much. But th- this roster is like perfect for him offensively in terms of how much shooting they have. I put up a. a stat uh on my twitter um just kind of like detailing everybody's corner three-point percentage on this roster and it's like it's perfect for a guy in simmons who i think what did he lead in most corner three-point shots created am i right about that that sounds like a stat that's been thrown around a lot so um yeah so i i think i'm really curious about that how he's utilized in the half court is fascinating um i know the team envisioned him as like a post-up hub um when they brought him in which i thought was really interesting I kind of envisioned him as, you know, especially if they're going to play him along Clax, uh, alongside Claxton as kind of like a short roller. You can kind of get like a Lob City connection there if possible. Um, you know, that'll be really fascinating for me is how they use him in the half court, especially in those eight to 10 minutes where he's sharing the floor with Claxton. That'll be the biggest utilization. But outside of that, I mean, there's so much you can do with him um, as a handoff threat. I was just talking to somebody a couple minutes ago, you could use him in pistol and kind of fake dribble handoffs that way. Um, there's just a lot of really cool ways to utilize him, and it's a really good roster for him at least to fully maximize what he can be. It's just a matter of, you know, can he stay on the floor? Are these back issues something that are going to linger, or is this something that he's taken care of early? Um, and then just how does he gel with the team? Because he is somebody that I think, you know, I, there, I don't want to get into like too much of, the whatever um i think we can kind of guess what i'm talking about we i don't want to get into too much stuff that is not really my business to get into but it's just a matter of like is this roster going to gel um just cohesively and collectively 
And how does that play a part on Ben? Like, it, how does he feel a part of this team? That's the interesting aspect is because lost, we haven't seen Ben play in such a long time that if you had taken Ben's best stretch and he had just come off that stretch of play and you told him now that like, hey, you're playing with Joe Harris and Kyrie and Katie, everyone would be like, oh my God, Ben is going to be an incredible weapon. Because as you said, like Ben, Joel Embiid is the much better player. So I understand why they didn't tailor the roster to Simmons in Philly. But Simmons admittedly was a little bit hampered by Joel's presence. And Joel was hampered by Simmons a little bit too. So Simmons is in the ideal spot to weaponize things that he wasn't really able to. Like there, there are wrinkles of his game that, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo should be like the best roller in the NBA, but he isn't. And so Ben, it doesn't mean that Ben is automatically going to be a short roller because his skills say that he should be an incredible short yeah. roller, but maybe he will be. Yeah. And we'll get to see, basically, it's an opportunity to see how Ben operates in what seems like his ideal situation. So it's it's a very, he's probably, I, I think he's probably a massive part of their regular season, honestly. If, if he gets it going, if he gets to do all his grab and go stuff, if he gets to be very active as an off-ball cutter and a guy who works as like a wheel greaser offensively in the half court. I Man, I think that he could have just, his well, obviously his best season so far. And that's probably not something that's being discussed a lot because it's so much of what Ben Simmons has been talked about lately is just clouded in, in other things. Yeah, And so, yeah, that's probably the most interesting aspect of the Nets is because Kyrie and KD are proven quantities. We know what's going on with those teams. Yeah. Um, they just have to be on the court. And, you know, Kyrie, even when things are as crazy as possible off the court, he can still step on the court and be incredible. Like, it, it doesn't seem to really affect him. Katie, it's the same thing. Ben Simmons is the guy who we have to see if he can just kind of step back onto the court and be everything that he was, you know, that he, his game says he should be. That's interesting. And also, man. I really do wonder how that's going to shake out. That's probably the most interesting question about it. Outside of just like, hey, does the, does this team hate each other? Yeah. <laughs> like, are these guys friends at all? Like, not that you have to be good friends, but just, you know, do are these guys going to be like hating each other all season is probably the second or first most, you know, interesting thing. Yeah, which also like plays into Simmons because I feel like if it's that situation, he's kind of going to pull back a little bit. Mm-hmm. He, I just, that, that's the sense I've gotten um, is that, you know, there's just a lot that's happened in his career. So for him to be in a situation that's unstable is like, I just don't want that for him. I want Ben Simmons to be really good. Like I want this to be, you know, I want this to be a good year for him. That story is inspiring. If he's able to like, have a career year. And I think there's just real opportunity for all the reasons that we've mentioned. So uh, last thing I'm going to ask you is the Raptors and Nets play very different styles offensively and defensively. And I'm curious, is there anything if you could steal from the Nets to the Raptors or the Raptors to the Nets, what would it be? Ooh, oh man. Um, Wow, this is a good question. Is this? I don't know. Uh, man, you're you're. I mean, maybe just attacking the offensive glass more. Although I don't know, I don't know if the Nets have the horses to do that. I mean, in a way, it's like they they have kind of. I mean, they've literally like grown in size this offseason, so that's helped. Last year, they had you know these lineups where they're running out Goran Dragic and Seth Curry and 
I don't uh, Patty Mills like in the playoffs. So I, I think that would be that would be the ideal way is literally to just increase the the average size of, of the Nets uh, when they're on the floor, which I think they've done in a way. But stylistically, that's a really good question. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna throw that back to you. What, what, what would your answer be on that? Well, with the offensive rebounding thing first, the Raptors they're at an interesting point where we have to see these players go on to another scheme because the Raptors, they drafted Delano Banton, Scotty Barnes, and then had an undrafted free agent, Justin Champagny. And all those guys were above the 90th percentile yeah. in offensive rebounding for their position, for their grouping, like forward or, or guard or combo per cleaning the glass. And you wonder like, did the Raptors properly identify all the best offensive rebounders in the mm. class or are they playing a style where offensive rebounding is more so a play style rather than it is a talent? You know, like, can you just force offensive rebounding? The Raptors yeah. are a small team. But Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua, Chris Boucher, like all these guys who aren't the biggest, on the, they're bigger than the other wings, but they're not bigger than the other bigs. These guys get after it on the glass. And, and Memphis also does that to some degree as well. Although... Steven Adams is like a, obviously a huge part of things happening with that. So that's that's really interesting. And then play style, I think that um, seeing KD and Kyrie get screen help is something because there's there's this platonic ideal of okay, go get me a bucket, and nobody's better at that really than KD and Kyrie. Like that is that is the the wonderful thing about those guys, and some somehow. Pascal Siakam led the NBA in isolations. Why would that, like, Pascal is great. He's all NBA. I think that his isolations are fruitful more often than not. But why wouldn't you let that guy play with screens? And I think that Steve Nash, the offense is definitely, it's not as reliant on isolation as people thought it might be. Because they can always go to that in like the the second half of the shot clock, but they they have tons of like early actions and stuff like that that the Raptors oftentimes do not. And I think that Nick Nurse probably is leaving a lot of food on the table as far as offensive decision making and offensive spacing by virtue of how you set up your offense. Because a lot of the yeah. time the Raptors are very um, rote and uninventive in how they kind of set up their their set actions. So. The Nets at their peak, of course, benefit from it being Katie and Kyrie. But also, there's just some really great stuff in there that the Raptors might be able to pull from as far as getting guys, screening actions in the flow, making decisions going downhill, having shooters lift when they're supposed to rather than just standing still. There's there's a cohesion to the Nets offensively, a fluidity that the Raptors, I wish they could emulate. I don't know if they have the talent to do it, but I wish that they could. Yeah, and I, I think that fluidity kind of went away a little bit in the Celtics series. Like there was just a lot more stagnation for the Nets. So I think like even just, you know, I, I'd, I'd have to watch more Raptors film, honestly. But like even just when I looked at kind of Durant's struggles, it was like I just felt like they didn't diversify his touches as much. So if there's a diversification that the Raptors are doing, then there's a way to do that. I, I'm going to touch on the rebounding thing. The Nets were that fun team where they didn't get back in transition defensively and they didn't rebound. So I think that's the big thing. It's like, please do one or the other. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's, that's the big thing that kind of stuck out to me all year for the Nets. That, um, that's something I talked about with Caitlin Cooper because okay. she was really interested because the Raptors. So the, a niche understanding of the Raptors is that when you watch them, you'll notice that 
a lot of times there'll be four guys below the free throw line. Mm -hmm. This is demonic. This is like anti-spacing as hell. And this is why Pascal Siakam, his talent to navigate tight spaces and, and Scotty Barnes continuing to learn that fits really well with the Raptors. But it's difficult because there's so many defenders in the paint because the Raptors just the Raptors are like, hey, um, nobody's going to guard Thad Young above the break. If he's not the guy in the corner, just go, go see if you can rebound. The yeah. same thing, Precious Achua, his shooting came along really great at the end of the year, so who knows how it works next year. But they basically, Justin Champagny, Scotty Barnes, yeah. Precious Achua, Boucher, they're like, don't worry about spacing because they don't want to guard you. And just see if you can go grab an offensive rebound, which is kind of insane. And the other insane aspect of it is that teams didn't run out on the Raptors. Of course, Philly did achieve that to some degree against them in the playoffs because Embiid was able to do a lot of the heavy lifting with rebounding. But typically, the Raptors are able to impose their will by bringing guys care about the Raptors' offensive yeah. rebound. So they come down with the Raptors. They don't leak out. And so the Raptors are able to imprint the game that way. Um, we've yet to see if it really changes the game, if that's something that they can carry over into the playoffs and you impose your will that way. But during the regular season, they limit transition despite throwing everybody at the offensive yeah. glass. It's very unique. Yeah, I think, and actually this is kind of how I took this question when I saw it uh, originally, was I almost wish these, it's not even a stylistic thing, I just wish these two teams could like exchange a couple players where it's like, here, here's a Seth Curry, we're going to give you a wing back. Like, Because the Nets have, you know, they've got Curry and Mills and uh, Harris, which is like an insane shooting trio. But could you probably live without one of them? Maybe. Um, I, I kind of was under... I, I, at least in my mind, I thought they were going to move off of one of those guys uh, with Seth kind of being the guy that I thought was going to be the odd man out. So it's more of like, I don't even know if it's a stylistic thing. It's more of like, I just wish there was a way for these two teams to be like, here's, you know, X role guy for Seth Curry. Let's exchange these two guys. All of a sudden, you know, the Nets have a wing and then, you know, the Raptors have this elite movement shooter that can create for himself. If he's run off the line, you know, into a, a one, two dribble pull up. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of I, – I don't even know if it's a stylistic thing. It's just literally like I feel like even before these two teams got into conversations about Durant, there's something to be had here between these two in terms of exchanging uh, whoever on the roster. That's that's definitely – that happens in some franchises in basketball that they have a history of trading with each other. Yeah. And it's because, you know, front, front office pals more yep. than likely. But baseball – is way more into that. Like in baseball, the the Blue Jays, for example, they they love Dodgers pitchers. And so they will trade for Dodgers pitchers because they're like, yeah, we like what you do. We like how you develop them. And we think they'll fit good here. And I wonder, you know, as the NBA, whatever it looks like in 30 years, because the, the talent pool is so oh deep. I wonder if there's expansion. And I wonder if, you know, rosters expand i wonder if there's like a more meaningful minor league type thing and yeah. that teams start to do that like okay we like what you do we'll do the trade with you uh, yeah like the because obviously the nets and the raptors are in the same division they're not they're not going to do like hey you know friendly i think we can both win here it's just not they're going to yeah. try and rip each other's eyes out while yeah. they trade the 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 Masai Ujiri classic obviously especially with marks too like marks just doesn't like to marks does not like to take l's so <laughs> yeah that's so. A, a very good trait for a general manager or <laughs> yeah. president. Like, yeah. hey, um, I'm going to make the good decisions. Yep. Even even though things have gone sideways, I do not 
I don't think any bad decision making was made on the Nets behalf. I think it's just like everything went sideways in the worst possible way. And like James Harden was incredible and is still facing like he against the Raptors in the playoffs was still facing that hamstring stuff. Yeah. So man, the Nets, the decision making I think was great. I didn't think it was hubris. I didn't think it was anything. I think they made the right decisions. Just you can't win them all sometimes, man. It's well, they crazy. won the standoff. Like they, I could not believe they won the standoff this offseason. I thought he was. I truly thought Durant was gone. So um, to win that standoff was wild. It's tough to win a standoff against a superstar. Oh, yeah. It does not. Ben Simmons won his. James Harden won his. Yep. You know, Anthony <clears> Davis <throat> won his. It, like superstars, you know, like, player empowerment isn't player empowerment. It's superstar empowerment for the most yeah. part. And. Like the the role players do get kind of disaffected because they get shipped off everywhere when, you know, superstars like, hey, I don't like it so much here, you know. Yeah, right, get right, me right. Out of here. <laughs> And so, but, you know, that's their prerogative. They do as they wish. They have the, you know, they have the leverage to bargain that kind of stuff. And KD not being able to bargain his way out of uh, Brooklyn is pretty crazy. And they could still win the championship. Like it's it's one of those things, right? Kawhi, Raptors fans will remember Kawhi, the initial yep. report was like, he's not coming to camp. He does not want to play with the Raptors. And then he got a finals MVP and scored like 35 a game against the 76ers. Just if if it's a talented guy, you just try and make it work, man. Yeah. And that's, yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see if the Nets are able to make it work in, in this season. But I think that's a decent place to end the podcast. But more than anything, it's an opportunity for you now to plug yourself to let the people know where to find you. And uh, if you have anything coming up that's interesting, if there's something you want them to read, to keep up, whatever. Yeah, uh, you can follow me, uh, Matt Brooks MBA on Twitter. Um, that's kind of where everything goes. I just literally, like before I uh, got on this show, I, I put out a video on TJ Warren, uh, which I'm excited about, just kind of like talking about what he brings to the table. Um, want to do something on Royce O'Neal before training camp. We'll see if I get it done. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, this off season's fun for me. I do a bunch of like little, you know, kind of amateur scouting uh, projects, taking a stab at what I can gather from watching however many games. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And then once the season starts, we'll be back to regular reporting back to the grind. So it's, it's an exciting time of year. I'm really excited for the season. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to your coverage of it because that team is going to be very interesting. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's always good to, for Raptors fans, whoever's listening to this, just make sure you tune in with Matt because the Brooklyn is going to be one of the most interesting teams this year. And it's always good to just know somebody who's going to hold it down in a market. Matt Matt should be your guy in Brooklyn. But thank Matt, you. thanks so much for coming on, man. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. And listener, viewer, whichever it is, if you're viewing on YouTube, uh, make sure to like the video because that helps, I think, the algorithm, something like that. I'm not a YouTubist or a YouTuber, <laughs> but I hear it's good. And podcast channel people, just keep on rocking. Do your thing. Uh, we're out of here. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you.